Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. The 2024 Republican presidential primaries begin tonight, three weeks before the 2022 midterms have even ended yet. And who are Trump's potential opponents going to be? And NBC suspends reporter over Paul Pelosi's story. This is the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. Do me a favor, and if you have not yet, check out the Union of the Unknown podcast. It's a new podcast. Great podcasters. I've been a guest on the show myself. It's a lot of fun. I think you'll like it. Give them a listen. Top story of the day. Trump is set to announce his third presidential bid tonight at 9 p.m., effectively kicking off the 2024 Republican primary race. Like I said, three weeks before, the midterms are even over. Could they not even give us a, a couple of days off? Like, at least a day? Like, international day of no politics and being nice to each other? Could we even have that? No, we can't. Because in this politicized society, everything, every corner of society has to have a politically divisive lever. So they have to constantly flood us with politics and campaigning and fundraising. I mean, they're just getting rich. The advertising money, the, the donation money, the fundraising off of all of us, and it never ends. They had to overlap basically the start of the 2024 primary season, and that is what this is with the end of the 2022 midterms. Two years apart, and they're overlapping. It never ends. This is certainly our reality when we have this digital bread and circus that they can lure us in with. We're always constantly, they're trying to get us engaged in some political fight. So, something you guys might be wondering, that I'm wondering, is if Trump's going to be announcing, if this two-year circus is about to kick off tonight, how's it going to be kicked off? How's he going to do it? He can't do it the same way. He can't go with the escalator again. It was an iconic moment. And it has to be iconic in and of itself and also different from that one. Otherwise, it won't be iconic. I mean, think about it. I don't even know if I saw Trump go down the golden escalator. But I can see it in my mind just because it's so iconic and it's talked about so much. I, I really don't know if I ever saw it. I think I did. It needs to be like that. So it's got to be memorable in its own right. Now, maybe he'll go opposite energy and he'll just be straight to the point and he will talk about how the election was stolen and he'll present the reason that he's running, which I'm guessing that's what he's going to do. But we will find out. Besides that, what I've done and I thought it would be worth doing real quick is listing off the candidate, the people who I've seen either themselves signal or the media has signaled for them that they will be someone going up against Trump during the Republican primaries. Because some of them have already basically fired their first shot. So we had the media basically nominating Ron DeSantis to run during their anti-Trump. DeSantis looks like the new guy for the Republican Party reporting in the aftermath of the midterm midterms when they're going through the results. So we'll go ahead and mark him down. We know Trump is one. Trump went ahead and fired his first shot to this war for the Republican nomination with that letter he posted on True Social where he went after DeSantis, trying to get DeSantis to come play down in the mud with him. And then we have former VP Mike Pence. He fired the next shots 
and he fired it at Trump, fired them at Trump. Everybody's going to be firing them at Trump. And he did it during this interview with, I think it's ABC yesterday. Here's the clip. 24 p.m., the president tweets Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done. Oh, very stern silence here. It angered me. But I turned to my daughter who was standing nearby and I said, it doesn't take courage to break the law. It takes courage to uphold the law. I mean, the president's words were reckless. Bam, shots fired. If I had shots fired, sound effects, I'd be playing them right now because that was a fire. That was a shot fired right at Trump, implying maybe that Trump was asking him to break the law, which Trump would argue otherwise. Maybe implying that Trump was breaking the law. It was clear he decided to be part of the problem. Ooh. All right. Now, there's the shot fire. There's Pence making it known that he is an opposition force to Trump. He kind of stayed out of talking that way up until this point. And here is, he's also doing a book tour, by the way. These people all cash in on these endless election cycles. It's just a real big con that it's like, man, they're getting very rich off of us. Maybe it's time to start writing a BS book and just go tour around and pretend you're going to run for office. Seems to be the game that all the rich people play right now. Here is Pence being asked about whether or not he, he is going to run for president. Will you run for president in 2024? Well, we're giving a consideration in our house. Prayerful consideration. Prayerful. Do you believe you can beat Donald Trump? Well, that would be for others to say. And it'd be for us to decide whether or not we'd want to test that. So if you decide to run and he's up there, so be it. <laughs> So be it. So there you have it. There's Mike Pence firing his first shots. It's funny because CNN did a segment this morning titled Trump's 2024 bid gets harsh reaction among Republicans. That's what the article is titled. I actually saw the segment live, but I have not been able to find a video of it. The article about the segment says this. In interviews with Republicans in both chambers, very few are eager to embrace a 2024 Trump 2024 run instead of pointing their hope to another candidate that another candidate will emerge or that the field will be big enough so voters can choose someone else who could appeal to a middle to middle of the road voters. So that's one thing. They're going to get as many candidates in there. So it's big enough. During the segment, though, they only interviewed like three Republicans because I saw it. And when they asked this one Republican representative from Indiana in the House of Representatives, if he would prefer someone other than Trump to run in 2024, this representative from Indiana said, I'm for my brother. Absolutely. I hope my brother runs. It was Mike Pence's brother. I didn't even know Mike Pence had a brother named Greg. Greg Pence, CNN was trying to illustrate that Republicans are done with Trump. And the way they did it was by asking Mike Pence's brother if he would prefer someone other than Trump to run in 2024. Nice job, CNN fantastic job building trust real shocker there okay another potential candidate that i heard floated on cnn and i can see where they're going and the way they've been talking about this guy is georgia governor brian kemp brian kemp i'm not running for president so brian kemp also was kind of praised by the media as being an example of a republican who won his race without talking about election denialism and spreading the big lie. And so they think that he's potentially a good candidate for president because of that very thing. It's just, that's extraordinary. 
You just have to fall in line and they will be like, let's let this person run for president. And we also had shots fired by Chris Christie with this headline from Axios. Christie applauded after being after bashing Trump at GOP governor meeting. He always does this. He, he always just d- does the easiest thing the media can praise him over. He's like the most unlikable person. He's so disingenuous. It's like he's not even trying to lie to us. He just knows we'll believe him. I mean, at least some of these other people seem authentic. Nothing is authentic about Chris Christie except his waistline. Former New, Jer- New Jersey Governor Chris Christie received huge applause at an annual meeting of Republican governors Tuesday morning after blaming former President Trump for GOP failures in the last three elections. This according to three sources in the room and a fourth person familiar with the speech. Wonderful sourcing. I got to be honest with you. Had it not been for that fourth person who wasn't in the room but was in fact familiar with the speech, I would have never believed this story. I needed that confirming unnamed person. Thank you for that. You just can't trust those unnamed sources in the room. You need someone outside familiar with things. How does Chris Christie get anyone to vote for him? He's got to be one of the least likable presence in our political world. of any. I mean, there's a lot of very unlikable people, but Chris Christie, I just don't know who likes him on either side of the aisle, and I certainly don't know who would vote to nominate him unless they were nominating him to participate in a hoagie-eating contest. Outside of that, I don't know why anybody would nominate him, but he cashes in pretending he's going to be a factor in these races all the time, and he always takes the easy position. He always takes the mainstream media-supported position in this one where he's blaming the elections on Trump. Now we move on to Liz Cheney, who lost her congressional seat by the largest margin of defeat in the 21st century. That's what the Washington Post said which made the media turn right around and say, looks like a good candidate. She got destroyed. We should put her up against Trump in the primaries. So that's all I have thus far. That makes Trump, DeSantis, Pence, Kemp, Chris Christie, Liz Cheney, probably Rubio because you got to have Hispanic representation in there. And you're also going to need either a black woman or a black guy. So maybe Condoleezza Rice, maybe Kanye. Let's get Kanye in there, man. That would be fun. Maybe Kyrie Irving, maybe Brittany Griner. Maybe that's how she gets out of prison is she's going to run for president. So Russia has to let her out and they can maybe brainwash or turn her into an operative controlled by Russia. Like, really, they can really have an operative control. I hope she gets out. I I do feel bad for her. The field is going to fill out. But what's going to be really interesting is to see which Republican candidates target Trump the same way Biden does and the media does by calling him an election denier and an insurrectionist during the primaries, which mirrors Biden's talking points. It mirrors January 6th talking points. We know Liz Cheney will. Chris Christie also uses these talking points because he always does the mainstream thing. Always. I mean, he's the most cringe person. Is that a mainstream word, cringe? I don't know. Kemp, during the Republican primaries, tried very hard to avoid talking about the 2020 election stuff. He ran against a Trump-endorsed candidate, which was David Perdue, who Perdue was, I think, just pretending to be the person questioning the election. Maybe he was testing. Maybe he was giving Brian Kemp practice for when he goes up against Trump in the primaries, if he does. But Kemp bent over backwards not to address it. The only thing he ever said was, look, there's problems in all elections, which he's not wrong about that. And that's probably really the only way that you can answer that question. But he didn't have to talk about that at all during his governor race. And that's the thing about the midterms is the Republicans that did not go with the election was stolen messaging. They just didn't talk about it. 
And the Democrats in those races didn't talk about it either. That be the case in the Republican primaries. They're going to have no choice but talk about it. I mean, they have painted Trump as an anti-democratic force that stopping him and stopping his endorsed candidates is the only way that they could have, that they saved democracy during the midterm elections. And now you have that same force coming in again. Trump wants them to call him an election denier because as soon as they call him an election denier, that Republican primary candidate is done. They have no chance. I'm telling you. There were these two polls where one of them was from late September. This was a Monmouth poll said that 61 percent of Republicans believe that Biden did not win the election fair and square in 2020. So that's a little bit of not harsh language, not, not an election denier, but you just think there's some problems, which is a normal thing. And then the other poll released about a month later that from Newsweek found that 40% of Americans think the 2020 election was stolen. So that one goes a little bit further with it, but 60% of Republicans questioned it, had questions about the election, which is a normal thing. You should always do that. 100% of Republicans who question the election are considered by the other side and Biden election deniers are demonized. So the second that a Republican primary candidate starts using Joe Biden's talking points and the January 6th committee's talking points to call Trump and those who follow him or might have questioned the election election deniers, that's the second that candidate has no chance of winning. Trump wants them to call him an election denier because he wins if they do that. Now, I don't know what Brian Kemp does. I don't know how he answers because he's going to be getting pressured to take a position. I know that DeSantis has not stated what his beliefs are about the, the 2020 election. But the position that they're put in is if they say that they do think the 2020 election, that there were some problems, they then get branded an election denier, which then makes it look like they believe that Trump should be president. Trump can spin it this way, makes them look subservient to him. And if they don't, if they go with he is an election denier, then they just sound like Joe Biden. It is a tough situation to be in. Trump, I think, is really in a good position to win it, actually. Now, they can, not, they can refuse to answer, but they're going to keep getting pressured and provoked into it. A couple more things here. I also think Biden was celebrating these, quote, wins so hard. Like, he talked about how, yeah, I was asked at the G20 about the wins in the midterms. I was congratulated. I think that you know, had more prominent Republicans who questioned the election that Trump endorsed had won, then it would have made Biden look like he was an illegitimate president at this G G20 meeting of world leaders. And that's not what he wanted. So they spun the narrative. This was always going to be the narrative. They set these impossibly high expectations. There was never going to be a red wave. It was a setup. So they could then say that Biden won. The country's more unified than it looks. Look how strong Biden is. Democracy saved. MAGA Republican, anti-democratic forces gone. They beat him. That, that was going to be the narrative all along. And I think part of it is so Biden could look like he was a legitimate president in front of all these world leaders, where he was going around rallying people to support Ukraine and basically World War III is one of the things he was doing there. Next story. Speaking of Governor Brian Kemp, I found this to be interesting, and I don't know what he said yet. I haven't seen any reporting on this yet, but I, I'll be interested to see if anything comes out tomorrow about it. Kemp testified today before the Fulton Grand Jury I don't know what he said, but I found it interesting that he was testifying on the same day that Trump is going to be announcing his presidential run. And 
So that grand jury that's going on in Fulton County, Georgia, it's the one that's investigating Trump's alleged attempt to get Brad Raffensperger to, to subvert the elections in Georgia. And it's all based on the phone call between Brad Raffensperger and him when the media says he pressured and threatened Brad Raffensperger and told him to go find, go find votes that aren't there or, she, or your head's getting cut off. That's the way the media talks about it. The truth is, for anybody who's actually listened to the entire call, it's like an hour and a half or even just a few segments of it. Trump is in no way threatening Raffensperger, and he is in no way telling him to go find anything that's not there. He's speaking on the, the premise of, yeah, the, the votes are out there that were supposed to be counted for me, and they weren't. We're really, we're highly confident of that. You would just need to put the resources to find enough to cover the difference that, if, you know, the amount that affected the election. Then you can send all your, you don't have to find all of them. It was, he, they were talking about allocating resources. He wasn't telling him to find anything that wasn't there. The whole thing is a fraud. But they've been trying to get Kemp to come in there and testify. And here's why they want Kemp to testify. The Fulton prosecutors previously said they're interested in questioning Kemp about the identities of the people who tried to get in touch with him following the 2020 elections. The contents of phone calls Kemp had with Trump or his associates, evidence that the Trump campaign provided in, in support of its theory that the Georgia elections were, were rigged, maybe so they can burn it, and whether Trump specifically sought a special election or other relief and any threats that might have been made. It's like our own little version of the January 6th hearings going on here down in Georgia. It's a fraud scam investigation. But I wonder if Kemp, because Kemp already won the election. He doesn't need Trump's help to win to be governor. And he actually very, I mean, Trump is no Kemp fan anymore, even though he endorsed him last time he ran. I wonder if Kemp threw Trump under the bus. Kemp, if he's misguided, he could see all the praise and love that Raffensperger got for pretending to be a hero, standing up to Trump, became a liberal media hero. If Kemp went in there and threw Trump under the bus, then the media, he would turn into a liberal media darling overnight. I mean, they would absolutely love him. He'd get the Brad Raffensperger treatment. He'd get the Democrat treatment under the guy, although he looks like a Republican on the service and he talks like he is. But he could use that to launch himself into a presidential campaign. The media certainly would promote him as a potential candidate to go up against Trump, being the one who threw him under the bus and exposed whatever he may or may not expose. But like I said, I don't think he'll do that because I think it's a bad move. I think the second you make yourself look and sound exactly like Biden and you use the same language and the same attacks as Biden does, but you're pretending to be a Republican, then you're going to lose Republicans. So he's probably not going to do that. But I am interested to find out what it was that Kemp said during this testimony. And one more thing. We're being told that MAGA extremism was soundly rejected during the midterms by the voters. That it's a losing position to take, that the candidates are losers. Many Democrats believe this so much that they funded MAGA Republican candidates in the Republican primaries to the tune of millions of dollars because they believed it'd be easier for Democrats to beat them. And they did, in fact, the candidate, the MAGA Republicans that were propped up by the Democrats did the, the ones that made it to the general midterm elections. They all lost to the Democrats. So the strategy, it would seem, worked. So if it's true that MAGA candidates are a bad position and that they're losers, then would it not also be true that Trump would be a loser in the 2024 race against whatever Democrat they run up there? If that's their theory, and they've been bragging about how well the strategy worked, 
then would Democrats not want Trump to win the 2024 primary based on that reasoning, the same reasoning they used to prop up MAGA candidates during the midterms? If they believe he would be the easiest candidate instead of a, a DeSantis? And if so, would Democrats not also then fund Trump in the Republican primaries and crossover vote to try and make sure that he wins the primaries because they believe he's the easiest one to beat? It's strange. They talk a lot about wanting to out Trump, yet they're, they literally spent millions propping up MAGA Republicans, which is Trump, because they said they'd be easy to beat. Don't they want another easy victory? All right, next story. Listen to this headline. Sniper takes out Russian from 1.7 miles in world's second longest combat kill. This is like a, a celebratory headline here. I mean, what kind of headline is that? I tried to find other different headlines that actually talked about what was going on. They were all about number two in the world. He's almost number one. He killed the guy from over a mile away. Here's the story. A Ukrainian sniper has claimed to have executed the second longest combat kill in history. This is according to the military chiefs, the Ukrainian military chiefs. The unnamed sniper felled a Russian soldier at a distance of 1.7 miles, according to Ukraine's military, which published what it claims was the footage of the shot looking down the sniper's scope. So it's like thermal, what you're looking at. So I don't even know if it's real. It, regardless, this story is awful, what it's promoting and, and what it's premised on. It confirmed it would see the Ukrainian sharpshooter Oh, if confirmed, excuse me. If confirmed, it would see the Ukrainian sharpshooter overtake a British Craig Harrison who killed a Talib, two Taliban fighters at a distance of 22,475 meters in 2009. Oh, great. Number one, you're going to try and move up on the list. They're just talking about killing people very casually. And then an unnamed Canadian sniper holds the record for longest combat kill. So it's it's like a story. It's like a Guinness Book of World Records story. So what they show then, there's footage published in this article. It was the Ukrainian armed forces that show this. Of these kills, of an image, what you see is an image of a man moving among the trees before the shooter centers the crosshairs on his chest and fires and the man drops to the ground. I mean, it looks like somebody gets shot when you look at it. And then a second figure comes running over to the first one in an apparent attempt to help his wounded comrade before the sniper fires a second time. Then both figures slump to the ground. The Ukrainian military gave no other details about the incident, such as when or where it was filmed or the weapon or ammunition used. This is an article celebrating the distance of a kill without telling us who was killed, why they were killed, what threat the shooter was under. It acts like just randomly killing a Russian person from over a mile away is an acceptable thing. Why is this okay? What was the purpose of it? What happened to Mercy? This is the opposite of that. This is bloodthirst. This is hunting is what this is. By all means, fill me in on the details of this, Ukraine, so that you don't just look like monsters. I do recall a story at the beginning of this war about some Russian soldiers who went to, I can't remember the name of the island, but there was Ukrainians on the island and the Ukrainians said, F you, we're not leaving or something like that. And then the story was that the Russians then slaughtered all of the Ukrainians. Turned out to be a lie. They didn't slaughter them. And they certainly didn't snipe them to death from a mile away. It's like they're Nazi hunting and they're celebrating it. It even shows a chart of the distance. I mean, look at this. Just no details. 
It's just unconcerned with whether or not you care about why this person was killed or who it was. Was it even a Russian soldier? How do we know? We have no idea what it was that they killed. All right. It says on screen, it's a chart. Longest recorded sniper kills. Iraq. And it, and it has a flag. And it says, it says 2017. And then below that, it has a, the flag of Iraq. And it has a sniper laying on the ground. And it has a red streak, you know, because blood splatters when they get the guy in the head. And then splat at the end of it, and it has 11,319 feet. So it's, it's like a, it's one of those charts where it's measuring heights, but horizontally. And then Afghanistan, a little bit shorter. Then Afghanistan again, Afghanistan again, then Iraq. So they're just showing you how impressive this kill was. That's not on this chart yet, but I'm sure they'll update it. This is a disgusting story. These people should be ashamed of themselves. All right, before we get to the final story of the day, which is going to be about the reporter that NBC suspended over his reporting on the Paul Pelosi story. They suspended him. You can't, you can't talk about what he talked about. Before we talk about that, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the DMB XR, which is an odd video of Hunter Biden that appeared on Twitter yesterday that I retweeted that was then removed. And it's really strange. And I'm going to show it to you and tell you what the context of it is. And we'll, we'll, we will talk about it a little bit. And I'll also tell you about a uh, Jeopardy question that outraged people that I think is kind of darkly hilarious. So if you want to get access to that content, the subscriber-only portion of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there today. What you will get is, along with getting the subscriber-only portion of the show, the DMBXR, you will get this show ad-free. I take the ads out for subscribers, and I put it together with the XR, and you'll get one full, longer show ad-free into your private RSS feed that you can then pop into any podcast player. That just about any podcast player that you use, you can put that RSS feed in there. And you can also support the show, if you're so inclined, by leaving a five-star review on iTunes and a message, a comment that warms my heart because it helps motivate me. It uplifts me, and I appreciate that. All right. Now on to the final story of the DMB. So there was this NBC report. I don't know if you saw it. I can't remember when it was. A week ago, maybe two weeks ago. Time is so compressed right now. A year ago, 10 years ago. What year is it? Shortly after the Nancy or the Paul Pelosi break-in hammer story, NBC ran a story that was taken off of air. It was removed. It was a video. It was like a report from one of their broadcasters or their journalist. A few hours after it ran on their news channel because it inflamed conspiracy theories. And the reason it did that is because, for one, it makes it seem as though Paul Pelosi was not really endangered when they got there and that Paul Pelosi opened the door instead of some unnamed person who the other reports indicate that they won't tell us who it is. And instead of the cops arriving to see Pelosi and the nudist hippie Obama voter struggling over a hammer, that they actually saw Pelosi slowly backing away from the door towards the hippie, and then the incident occurred, which very much contradicts the other version or the narrative version of the story. So NBC Today showed correspondent Miguel Almagur, probably said that wrong, has been suspended pending an internal investigation after NBC News had to retract his reporting that inflamed right-wing conspiracy theories. Right-wing? Anybody with a brain would say, wait a minute, that is different than what you told us before. Reporting that inflamed right-wing conspiracy theories about the brutal assault on Paul Pelosi. In an on-air report that went viral soon after it aired, 
The reporter suggested that Nancy Pelosi's husband was not in danger when cops arrived at their San Francisco home. Here is a summation of his reporting and what he said. His report purported to provide additional, albeit vague, details that, taken a certain way, might suggest Paul Pelosi knew the suspect, which some of the calls to the police made it, some people thought that they made it seem that way as well. Others thought he was talking in code. Goes on to say that when officers arrived here at, this is what the broadcaster said, when officers arrived here at the Pelosi home exactly a week ago today, they initially didn't have any idea exactly what was going on. They knew they had a high priority call in their hands. What was unclear was what was happening inside the property just behind me, standing in front of the house. Then he says, the 82-year-old did not immediately declare an emergency or try to leave his home, but instead began walking several feet back to into the foyer towards the assailant and away from the police. It's unclear if the 82-year-old was already injured or what his mental state was, say sources. Why Pelosi didn't try to flee or tell responding officers he was in distress is unclear. He goes on to say, We still don't know exactly what unfolded between Mr. Pelosi and the suspect for the 30 minutes they were alone inside the house before police arrived. And listen to this. Hours later, the report, which was based on an unnamed source, seemingly contradicting the claims of both both prosecutors and police, was retracted and video of the segment was scrubbed from NBC's website. This piece has been removed from publication because it did not meet NBC's reporting standards, NBC wrote in a note replacing the article. That's, that's the funniest part. That's like the best joke. Reporting standards. The article goes on to say that right-wing media figures immediately took the report and its retraction as proof of a politically motivated cover-up after a week of grasping at various conspiracy theories to dismiss the assault, which left Pelosi with a cracked skull. This very article just said that NBC News had to retract his report because it inflamed right-wing conspiracies, or that inflamed right-wing conspiracies. So they didn't say because, but they certainly make it seem as though that is why. They make it seem like the story was retracted because of it, and then it turns around and says it was actually retracted, not because of those theories, but because it didn't meet the reporting standards. And they emphasize also that the report was based on an unnamed source hinting that that's maybe the reason why it didn't meet the reporting standards, because they didn't tell us what the reporting standards are. Is that typically how you guys work over there at NBC? Go run wild with your report. We will check later to see if it meets our standards after it's already been seen by millions of people. And then they have the audacity to say the right-wing media figures, they think that this is proof of a cover-up. Well, it certainly seems like proof of a cover-up. The way that you reacted to it, they do elaborate on the decision. They say the decision was made to remove the segment after it was determined shortly after it aired. Yeah, shortly after people pointed out how contradictory it was. That the main source for the information was unreliable regarding the circumstances that the police encountered when they arrived at the house, said a person with knowledge of the situation who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss details of the reporting. Here's what we have here. We have a version of the Paul Pelosi story that completely contradicts the narrative that was originally reported, which raised obvious questions that anybody who's not brain dead would ask. It's then pulled off air after those questions were raised across social media, but apparently not because it sparked those questions about the narrative, but only because the unnamed source of information who told the reporter about this wasn't reliable, and we know that this unnamed source wasn't reliable because we're told so 
by another unnamed source. You can't trust the unnamed source, says the unnamed source familiar with this unnamed source. Which unnamed source are we supposed to believe? Like, I could even see a possibility where, remember when those guys came out of Twitter and were carrying boxes, pretending they got fired, and the media immediately jumped to them, and they just believed them, and it was funny? This could be somebody just walking around pretending to have seen something and making stuff up because they know the media will just believe anything. But when they make it seem so shady and the way that they retract the story and they let it air and then they say, oh, our standards and we're very vague about it, it makes them seem guilty, which maybe they're doing that on purpose. Maybe they're baiting people. Hunter Flowers campaign. Maybe what's going on here is maybe the confusion around what this source said they saw Maybe they're just telling the journalist what he or she saw before the director yelled, action. Maybe he just saw Paul Pelosi walking backwards to his stage mark to be in the proper place. If you listen to the show, you know that I don't think the story's real. They might have staged something like this. But that would make perfect sense. If he just, he, you're not supposed to describe what you see before the director yells action. You're supposed to describe what you see after the director yells action. That's what goes to the news. Oh, there was a second hammer, by the way. So originally, a lot of people were talking about both of them having a hammer. And then it turned out they were both holding on to the same hammer and they were fighting over it. Well, if you actually look at the Department of Justice press release. Here, I'll share it with you. So I don't know if you can see that up on screen. But this is the press release. It says, according to the complaint, minutes after the 911 call, two police officers responded to the Pelosi residence where they encountered Paul Pelosi and DePape struggling over a hammer. Officers told the men to drop the hammer, and DePape allegedly gained control of the hammer and swung it, striking Pelosi in the head. So it sounds like the cops told them to drop the hammer, and Pelosi did, and the other guy said, oh, now I have the hammer. Once DePape was restrained, officers secured a roll of tape, white rope, a second hammer, a pair of rubber and cloth gloves, and zip ties from the crime scene. It's like, you know how Dave Chappelle used to do the joke where the cop in his sketch show would always sprinkle a little bit of crack on the, the black guy? It's like, it's like what it's going to be now is whenever it's a crazy white guy, they're going to they're gonna sprinkle a little bit of zip ties on the crime scene. So you can say, he's an insurrectionist. He has zip ties. So there was a second hammer. Did the guy bring two hammers? I'd like to know that. I'd like to know where the, where, where the other hammer was. Does everybody carry hammers all the time now? I guess only if you have zip ties. Okay, so that's going to wrap it up for today's show. I appreciate you guys listening. Again, if you want access to that Drive Time News Blast XR, you can go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there today. You can find the Drive Time News Blast at propagandafight.com or anywhere you get your podcast. Also, follow me on Twitter at Freedom Act Radio, youtube.com slash bradbinkley, rumble.com slash propaport. We will talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Or we'll talk to you in the DMBXR. XR.